You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Uh, it was going to happen at some point in this service. <laughs> Anyways, um, so this morning leading up to Valentine's Day, I, I will say this, I'm very excited about what I'm going to share this morning. And when it comes to understanding Valentine's Day, my first approach to Valentine's Day, preparing for the month of February was to go look up the history of Valentine's Day. And I had this moment where I was like, everyone does that. You know, um, when it comes to Christmas, you hear, where did Christmas originate from? And then you feel guilty. <laughs> uh, we're free in here. <laughs> and before I move on, on the topic of being free, I apologize for the dress apparel this morning. Um, my parents got me this from South Africa on their mission trip. So if you're judging me for my shirt this morning, there you go. Paul said, don't let anyone rob you of the freedom that you have in Christ. So you will not take me away from my freedom, but I do apologize. I was trying to go a little more church this morning and we were rushing out the door. But anyways, what are we talking about? We we're talking about love. Yeah, we we're talking about love. So I was preparing the message this morning and I was going to talk about, you know, where it originated from Valentine's Day and all that stuff is great. But let me say all that stuff means nothing if you don't see Christ. All right, we don't come to church to find out things. We don't come to church for knowledge. Anyone can get knowledge anywhere if you pursue it. What matters most is how much you're seeing Christ, how much you're seeing Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees, don't forget, they were the smartest guys of their time. They knew the Bible front to back, back to front. It's not Bible knowledge that will save you. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what we're here this morning to see is not information, and I don't want to give you information. I want you to see Jesus. And know this, when you see Jesus, you're looking at God's heart for you. If you ever want to know, God, what in the world is going on? Don't look at what's going on. Look at the cross. And there is your sure guarantee that no matter what I'm looking at in front of me, God's love for me has never changed. Because at the cross, he saw my entire lifetime of mistakes. He saw my entire lifetime of sin. He saw my entire lifetime of who I am. Matthew Edwards at his best and Matthew Edwards at his worst. And yet at the cross, he didn't hesitate. He didn't even think twice. In fact, the Bible says for the joy, for the joy, for the joy that was set before him, he endured everything. Think about that for a moment. He saw all he saw all that you are. And then he said, for the joy that is set before me, this is nothing. So when it comes to understanding Valentine's Day, again, I don't think it's so much about Valentine's Day as much as it is understanding his love for you. And so uh, I had so much to share. I knew that it would never work. And then when I found out Super Bowl was this Sunday. I thought, now I really gotta, we really need to figure out what's gonna work. So I have a, a, a message prepared for you that I think is awesome. And if you don't, don't care because I'm gonna be blessed when I share it. Uh, but if we had to call this a title or if we had to give it one, we would call it, As I Have Loved You. All right? Don't forget, what is the definition of love who used to be in This Is Love Church? What is the definition of love? That was a slow response. There's only a few of you. So we're not going to, we're going to pretend like our church name was never in this is love. All right. Anyways, true love by definition is not that we love God, it's that he loves us. Okay. One more time. True love is not that we love God, but it's that he loves us. 
is not how much I love my wife. Even on wedding day, when my love is at its most, is not how much I love her. It's not how much she loves me. And let me say this, it's not how much I love my one-year-old son. As much as I love him and as much as my love will reach for him, the maximum amount of all my love, God does not define love by what we can uh, produce in and of ourselves. He says, I want to define it by the greatest amount of love that there could possibly be in the entire universe. So I'm going to define it by my love for you. Now, traditional church has taught us, well, let's, before we get in trouble, let's do this. Let me ask you, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, strength. And what's the second one that's like it? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Now they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, in fact, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 22. <laughs> Didn't think I had it, did you? <laughs> Matthew chapter 22 says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And I don't want to stay too long in this because I'm coming somewhere, right? I'm going, I'm going to a place. But notice what they call Jesus in this moment. Teacher. When you come to him as a teacher, you will learn something. But if you come to him as savior, he will save you. All right. Be very careful about your approach when you come to the Lord. All right. So they came to him saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall what? Love. love. And I put it in gold so we wouldn't miss it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Watch this. And the second is like it. You shall love, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, if you want to know the sum total of the Ten Commandments, if you want to know the sum total of the law that wasn't written on stone, all right, all of the law hangs on one, I'm sorry, not one, on two commandments, two concepts. Let's look at it one more time. What is it? Verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God. Now, notice you shall love the Lord and you shall love your neighbor. Do you see that? So if you want to know what is the sum total of the law, it's love God, love people, in short, okay? Now, as great as that is, the law lasted for 1,500 years. From the time God gave the commandments to the time that Jesus arrived, the law lasted for 1,500 years. And in 1,500 years, had anyone ever been able to fulfill that law? No. And yet, for some reason, still today in churches, we're still trying to put this law on people. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me say this, it's a good attempt, and it's probably done in innocence, but where we have failed, Jesus has succeeded. All right? Where we could never love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, he, he 2,000 years ago went to the cross and said, now I will love you with all my heart all my soul and all my strength keep in mind jesus said i did not come to destroy it i came to what fulfill it in fact look at this watch this romans chapter 13 paul reiterates what we just said love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law okay love is the fulfillment of the law now we just we just said that in different words but watch this under the law god says you must love your love god you must love people the demand Jesus in the upper room in his last moment says, all right, now we're at the end of the law. The end of the age of the law is here. Let me give you a new commandment. Are you ready? Watch this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Now, it sounds like the old one. 
Because the old one said what? Love one another as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds like the old, but what does he say? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now watch this. Under the old, the demand is love God, love people. Under the new, it's now love people as I have loved you. Now what's the difference? What's the difference? I used to always say, well, one is supply, one is demand. One is supply, one is demand, and that is true. But as I was meditating on this and preparing for this week, I saw something I never saw. Notice what Jesus dropped. Love God. Right? Love God. What is the fulfillment of the law? Love. Jesus himself is the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment. Only Jesus could fulfill that which he demanded. And he himself is the fulfillment. Once he fulfilled the first part, love God, the second part is still on us. But the demand is not what it was. Now it's this. You no longer are demanded to love God because I have loved God for you. Now I want you to love them as I have loved you. You will never be able to love someone else until you first know how much I love you. That's an interesting thing. You know, I had part of that revelation when I got married, but the Lord is continuing to, continuing to expound that to me. You'll never really know how to love her until you first know how much I love you. And just when I think I'm doing a good job and we have that, that conversation, <laughs> it becomes an issue of love. And you realize, I'm doing everything I can to show you how much I love you. How is it not enough? I told you I loved you when we got married. How many more times do you need to hear it? Only to find out, all right? Only to find out the only way I'll ever truly be able to love her the way I'm supposed to is when I'm continuing to let him love me. And the moment I stop loving her the way she wants to be loved or the way she needs to be loved, that's when I realize I've stopped letting him love me. Do you understand? So it becomes a, not so much a reflection on my mistakes as much as it is a, Matthew, get back to a place where you let him love you. Because that love should overflow. Are you with me? Now, the beauty of it is this. It looks like he's saying, look, love one another, directing, love one another, love one another. And it sounds like a command because he said a new command I'm giving you. But if you understand how the new covenant works in the new covenant, he says, listen, it's no more what you shall not do. You shall not. You shall not. Now it's I will. I will. I will. And at the end of the new covenant, he says, I will put my desires in your heart. And now you'll know it. And not just in your heart. I'll put my desires in your heart and I'll put them in your mind. Now you will do what you're supposed to from your heart. No one will have to tell Matthew, Matthew, love your wife. Now, on the inside, he's saying, Matthew, love your wife. Let me say this. I don't want her to love me because she's supposed to. Thank you for that thunderous amen. All the married people, we don't want love if it's demanded. And they said, and all the singles, we don't want love if it's demanded. And silence reigns. <laughs> but listen, you don't want love. Love is not love if it is demanded. Are you with me? It's not love if it's demanded. But when it comes from that person's heart, even if it's the worst gift in the world, it doesn't matter because it came from their heart. And because they love you and because you love them, it works. It works. Are you with me? And the only way to do that is to first let him love us. Are you still with me? Let's keep going. I don't want to camp out here much longer. Let's keep going. First John chapter three. Now, how do we get to first John three? We missed something. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> Do you have your Bibles? Yeah. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 10. Now, we quoted this earlier, but I just love uh, having you open your Bibles one Sunday out of the year. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Definition of love. Are you ready? In this is love. Not that we loved God. Oh, come on. It's Sunday morning. Act like a Wednesday night. Okay, here we go. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Now, we can stop there, but let's keep going because we didn't quote this second part earlier. But that he loved us and sent his son in the New King James to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, let me say this. That, that P word is a big word and for years didn't know what it meant. But let me give you the short definition and we'll move on. Because I love this word propitiation. Once you understand what it is, you will love it too. I hope. All right. Propitiation means this. In the Old Testament, God said, I want the remembrance, the symbols of your sin. I want to put them inside the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, there are two angels on both sides that are going to be looking down. Their eyes will always be pointing down where your, the symbol of your sin is. Okay. And, but God says this. Every time I see your sin, I must punish it. I must judge it, all right? Because just as much as I want to be a God to you, all right, I must also be a judge of the entire universe. And for me to be judged, I must be perfectly just, perfectly righteous. In other words, I can't sweep your sin to the side and be gracious to you. I have to punish sin when I see sin. Are you with me? So God said, put the symbol of your sin in the ark and have two cherubim pointing down. Their eyes are going to be facing down. They're going to be looking at your sin. But then he said this, I want you to take a mercy seat, a slab of gold, wood overlaid with gold. And I want you to put it on top of the ark. And the angels, when they look down, they won't be able to see the symbols of your sin. Now they'll be able to see this slab of gold. But that's not enough. Once a year, I want you to bring the blood of a perfect animal in, the perfect animal, all right? Bring the blood of this animal, and I want you to sprinkle the blood across the mercy seat. So when it comes time for them to look down at your sin, they must first see the blood sprinkled on top. And when they see the blood, they will know that payment has been made for the sin that's underneath. Are you with me? Now, that slab on top is actually what they call in the Hebrew, it would be a, the, the term would be propitious. Propitious, are you still with me? In Jeremiah 31, God says, a new covenant I will make with you. And he says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Five times, I will. I will do all these things because I will be. If you have a, a new King James, I think it says merciful. But the old King James is, oh man, it's perfect. It says, because I will be propitious to your sin. Now watch this. If he had said, I will do all these things because... There will be propitiation for your sins. That would have been good because God would have been saying there will be a sacrifice for your sins. But by saying I will be propitious to your sins, what he's saying is I myself will stand between my righteousness and all your mistakes so that I will receive the fullness and the, the weight of all the judgment and punishment for all your sins. I will be a God to you. I will heal you. I will prosper you. I will favor you. I will move you ahead in life because I will be the one that stands between my righteousness and all your mistakes. You see that? Now, you can say that and leave it alone, but what did we just read? This is love. This is love. Not how much you love God, but how much God loves you. And know this, he sent his son to be the propitiation for all our sins. <laughs> and not just some. In Jeremiah 31, he says, I will be propitious to 
all your sins. For your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. When you talk about the love of God, understand this. God's love means, God's love means sin is no longer an issue. Sin is no longer an issue. For years when I was a kid, we used to have this saying, Jesus paid it all. He did pay it all, right? But we used to have this saying, Jesus paid it all, right? And I, when I was a kid, no one really, you know, went into the depth of what that meant. We would say, Jesus paid it all. And I always thought, well, okay. And then we would have the play where uh, Jesus is in the tomb, you know, on Easter, Jesus is in the tomb. And they would have these two guys stand as angels. And Jesus would come out and he'd step into this boxing ring and he would fight the devil. And then he would win. God fighting Satan, right? And then he wins and he comes out and he's, yeah, Jesus is the light. You remember that song? I'm not going to sing for you this morning. I won't bless you with my singing voice yet. Anyways, he, he comes out of his boxing ring and you think Jesus paid it all. Jesus won. He fought the devil and he won. Jesus did not fight the devil. You did not. You were not owned by the devil. Okay, Satan never owned you. But when Jesus paid it all, what it means is this. Jesus paid all of the price to the righteousness of God so that you could always have the favor of God. God by nature cannot have a sinner in his presence. God doesn't have to move against a sinner. A sinner in his presence will die immediately, will diminish. When you look at the sun, think about it, it's raining right now, so there'll be mud later on, right? When the sun comes out, what will happen to the mud? It will dry out. Now, do we get mad at the sun and say, how dare you dry the mud out? It's the nature of sunlight and mud, okay? Likewise, it's the nature of God, it is who he is, that when he appears, all our sin in his presence, we should die. And yet Jesus said, where two or more are gathered, I am in your midst. How can God be here in our midst this morning? And we all have failures, except the pastor. We, all of you have failures, right? How can we do that? Because he is propitious to our sins. He is standing between his righteousness and our sin. Now, let me show you this. This week, I want to look at the love of the father. Don't worry, I'm not going to be much longer. Watch this. First John 3, 1. Look at this. Look with wonder. I'm, and I chose the passage translation because I, I, I think the passion translation really does something special. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. Do you see that? Do you see that? Now, when we talk about the love of God, we talk about the payment Jesus made. But this week, I want to talk about the love of the Father for you. Is that all right? It doesn't matter. I'm going to talk about it anyways. Right. Notice one more time. Look with wonder at the depth of the what? Father's love. Now, on the night of the Passover, in the Last Supper, Jesus was in the upper room and he looks at his disciples. And he starts to give them revelation they had never received before. Things he never talked about. Now he's talking about in the upper room. And then when he finishes talking, he looks up to heaven and he starts praying. And he says, Father, I have revealed your name to them. I have revealed your name to them. The name that you gave me. And then he says this, keep them in that name. Now for years we thought, what is the name he's talking about? What is that name? But keep in mind, he was in a room full of Jewish men who all already had all the names of God. They had all the names. They had El Shaddai. They had um, um, Jehovah Nisi. They had Jehovah Rapha. And I'm looking bad, so I'm going to stop there. They had all the names of God, all right? Every name. And yet Jesus says, I have revealed your name to them. What name did he reveal to them? What name could he reveal that they didn't already have? Think about this. When Jesus was praying, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, Father, 
The Pharisees got angry. How dare he call God his father as if he is a son? <laughs> what is the name Jesus revealed? Father. And what is the name he says keep all of us in? Father. Are you with me? So father, now look up here one more time. Look with wonder at the depth of the father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. Now I want to break some of these words apart, but I, want, I don't want to show you in the Greek. Your New Testament is in Greek, your old is in Hebrew. You still with me? Can we look at some Hebrew this morning? Are you ready for the Hebrew? Oh man. Let me say this. I'm horrible with keeping church secrets, but I have kept this the entire week. I've only told two people. I, it's, it's, anyways. I've only told my wife and my mother. No one else knows this. So, oh man, I'm excited. I am just Valentine's Day part one. Here we go. Look at the depth of the Father's love. Now, I want to show you in the Hebrew. Again, knowledge without a revelation of Christ is pointless, has no value. But when you see information that points to Jesus, there's value. Are you with me? So this morning, I want to show you the Father's heart. Are you ready? Oh man. Let's look at the first word real quick. Look at Look with wonder at the depth of the father. Say father. father. Now, what is the word for father in Hebrew? Does anyone know? Abba. Abba. Now, if you're taking down notes or you're spelling it out, it would be A-B-B-A. And in fact, even if you type it in uh, Google Translator or you're looking up or you ask someone that's Jewish, they might even tell you Abba is spelt Aleph, Bet, Aleph. Now, before we get too deep into Hebrew, I know some of you are going, what in the world, Aleph, what? <laughs> All right. The first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. The first letter in the English alphabet is A. A. Okay. Aleph is their first. Bet is their second letter. We have B. We have A and B. They have Aleph and they have Bet. Now, the beauty of the Hebrew language, unlike a lot of other languages, every letter has a distinct picture that goes with the letter. For example, when we say A, we would say A as an apple, or you could say A as an airplane, doesn't matter. We just say A so you understand the sound, but there's no picture that matches A. Are you with me? But when it comes to Hebrew, when it comes to uh, understanding the Hebrew letters, every picture has, every letter has exactly one picture that corresponds to it. You can't say Aleph and something else. You can only say Aleph is this picture. Are you still with me? Now, I'm going to show you the picture in a moment. Last week, we talked about a little Hebrew, so you might remember what Aleph means and what Bet means. But don't worry. If you don't remember, you're going to get it this week. Okay? Now, Aleph, Bet. In fact, let me just show you. We will talk about father. The word for father is Abba. And again, the English spelling of it is A-B-B-A. -B -B -A. Abba. Say Abba. Abba. But the actual Hebrew spelling of it is Aleph, Bet. Aleph, Bet. Now, Aleph sounds like a ah, and bet sounds like a b. Literally, Abba is ab, ab. But what happens is this, because children are children, and over time, that b comes out like an uh sound, they've just said, well, let's, let's add another a to it. But the original spelling was Aleph, bet. Are you with me? The original spelling was Aleph, bet. Now, every letter has a picture that corresponds to it. Let me step up here so I'm not blocking the thing. Every picture has, every letter has a picture that corresponds. What is the picture for Aleph? Does anyone know? Let me show you. It is a sacrificial ox. Not just an ox, a sacrificial ox. Bet, the picture for Bet is a house. Keep in mind, Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bet, house, lehem, bread. House of bread. The bread of life was born in the house of bread. Are you with me? 
So bet is always a picture of a house. Now watch this. When you put the two together, what do you see? Ox, the sacrificial ox in the house. That's what an Abba is. In order to be a father, in order to be, see, anyone can be a parent. Anyone can have children. But in order to be a father in God's eyes, you must be the sacrifice for the house. Are you with me? Again, in God's eyes, to be a father, you must be the sacrifice for the house. Now, did you know that Jesus revealed the name Father? He never existed before. Do you know why? Because God was never a father until he put on flesh and sacrificed himself for the house. Do you understand? Now, just in the name Abba, you can see the heart of, heart of God. Look at the love of God that he said, you know what? It's not enough that I'm here and you're there. I will sacrifice myself for the house. <laughs> Are you with me? Let's keep going. Look at the word love. The word love. In fact, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love. Look at love. Now, love in the Hebrew is the word ahaba. I would ask you to say that. I am going to ask you to say that. Say ahaba. Ahaba. Uh, someone messed it up. Anyway, ahaba. Okay. Now, ahaba is made up of four Hebrew letters. You have alev, hey, bet, hey. Do you see that? Valentine's Day coming up, everyone's going to be talking about love. All right? You're going to buy those flowers the last minute. You're going to get that card on Valentine's Day. <laughs> All right? Everyone's talking about love. Ahaba. Now, again, you have Aleph, Hey, Bet, Hey. And don't forget, Hebrew reads from the right to the left. So on the right side, you have Aleph, Hey, Bet, Hey. Now, one more time, what is Aleph? A sacrificial ox. But what does hay represent in the Hebrew? What, what is the picture or what is, what is hay in the Hebrew? Oh my gosh. Hay is grace. Hay is the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Grace. When you put it all together, what do you see? Alev is the sacrificial ox. Hay is grace. Bet is the house. Hay is grace again. Look up here. Ox, grace. House, grace. What does the word love mean in God's eyes? The sacrifice of grace for the house of grace. You see that? God's idea of love is not what we would ever think love is. God's idea of love is this. Me, the sacrifice of grace, given for the house of grace. And who is the house of grace today on earth? The church. <laughs> the church. Jesus giving his life for the church. That's what God's idea of what love is. Are you still with me? Now, can I show you something really cool? Every Hebrew letter has a number that corresponds. For example, A is the first letter, so we would say A is one. B is our second letter, so B is two. In the Hebrew, the same thing is true. But in the Hebrew, you can actually add the numbers to find something cool. Okay? Aleph is the first letter, so it is number one. He is the fifth letter, so obviously one plus five is what? Six. Bet is the second letter, so it's two. He is the fifth letter, so that's five. In fact, let me show you the numbers up here so you don't get confused. Aleph is one, hey is five. Bet is two, hey is five. When you add the numbers up, what do you come up with? You mathematicians. 13. Interesting number. You know why? Because in the book of Esther, it was the 13th day that they were supposed to be killed. The 13th day was designated to be the day all the Jews would be annihilated. On the 13th day. So it was declared an evil day. Okay? In Ephesians chapter 6, interesting chapter, 6, number of man, 
Verse 13, the first time the word evil day appears in the New Testament. Verse 13, interesting. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day. So 13 is a picture of something evil. In the world, we have, it, we, we have a saying called Friday the what? 13th. 13th, and it's an evil day. Just recently, Christine and I, we, were, um, we went to a hotel, and on the, on the elevator, it went up to like 15 or 17 floors. It went all the way up to 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, and I, I took a picture of it. I thought it was so crazy. So we asked the lady at the front desk, why is there no 13th floor? And they said, well, duh, there are no 13 floors anywhere. Because based on superstition, 13 is an evil number. So it's not just a Bible term. This is a well-known term out in the world. 13 is an evil number. Are you still with me? All right. And yet, notice the word love equals out to the word, to the number what? 13. What is God's answer to the evil day in your life? Focus on my love for you. If that's not enough, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the chapter on the love. <laughs> Are you with me? John chapter 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. What is the answer to the evil day in our life? Focus on his love for us. Now, can I show you another Hebrew word? You're not tired yet, are you? You're like, yeah, Super Bowl, come on, man, what are you doing? Anyways, <laughs> what is the nature of love? Would you like to know what the nature of love is? The nature of love is to give. John 3, 16, for God so that he gave. You can stop there. God loved, God gave. When you love, you give. I can say I love you all day, but if I don't give, she said it was all words. That's all the women, none of the men, none of the men, all right? All right, so the nature of love is to give. Now, one more time, John 3, 16, for God so loved that God gave. Would you like to know what the Hebrew word forgive is? It's yahab, literally yahab. Watch this. Yud, hey, bet, hey. Last week we looked at yud, all right? Or yod, however you want to pronounce it, but yud is the, trans the pronunciation I enjoy, all right? So it's yud, hey, bet, hey. Now, if you remember what yud means last week, if you don't, no worries. Yud is always a picture of a hand. Always a picture of a hand. And we just saw what hey means. One more time, what does hey mean? What is hey a picture of? Grace. What is bet a picture of? House. Put it all together. What do you have? The hand of grace in the house. Where does God give from? Where does God give from? His gracious hand gives from the house. His gracious hand gives in the house. Never separate yourself from the house. I tell you all the time, look, our church is not the only good church in Charlotte. But you know what? When you separate yourself from the hand of house, from, from the house of grace, that's where God's hand is. It's amazing how people go, oh, I can receive from God. And Paul had the same issue. Paul had the same issue in Romans chapter 10, I think it is. Romans 10, Paul had the same issue. People were saying, well, I can read at home. I, I can find. And you know what Paul said? Paul said this. How will they hear unless someone is sent? And how will someone be sent? Oh, I'm sorry. Unless someone is sent, they'll never hear. And how will they hear unless there's a preacher that's there? Then he goes on to say this. Don't you know faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by what? Word. Not faith comes by reading. Interesting. Faith comes by what? Hearing. hearing. And where do we hear at? The house of grace. Are you with me? It's in the house of grace. God's hand is always moving. In the house of grace, God's hand is always working. In the house of law, 
you see no giving. <laughs> but in the house of grace, God's hand is there. Are you with me? Now, let me close with this. Oh, man. Oh, not yet. Let me, close. Let me show you this number real fast and we'll close. Yud is the 10th letter in the Hebrew alphabet. 10 is an interesting number. Why is 10 interesting? How many commandments were written on stone? 10. All right. When you look at 10 in the Bible, it's always a picture of the 10 commandments. It's always a picture of the law. It's always a picture of man's efforts, the best that man can produce in and of himself. Are you with me? Joseph was loved by his father, but guess how many older brothers he had? 10. 10 older brothers. They were his half brothers. They had different mothers than Joseph. Jesus came into his own, his own received him not. All those who were before him, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all of them are a picture of those who come from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, where God gave the Ten Commandments. But all of us are like Jesus. All of us are like Joseph. All of us are like Isaac. Abraham had two wives. I hope I didn't lose you. Abraham had two wives. One wife was free, Sarah. And the son she gave birth to was free, Isaac. She is a picture of Mount Zion. That's Paul's words in Galatians. All those who come from Hagar, who was the slave, she gives birth to more slaves. She, Paul says in Galatians, is a picture of Mount Sinai, where God gave the Ten Commandments. The number 10 is a picture of man trying in his own efforts. That's why it says, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. God has no help for the one who is always working. Are you listening? But in the covenant of grace, he says, no more, you shall not. I will, I will, I will, because I love you. Because I love you. You don't do anything else. Now it's on me. Are you with me? And now, now he works for us. <laughs> we could go a different direction anyways. All right. Are you still with me? So the number 10 is a picture of man and his own efforts. Man's best that he can produce in and of himself. But look up here. What did we just see earlier? You, hey, bet is a picture of God's hand in the house. What does it mean? Why is you the number 10 here and why does it work so well? What do you have? 10 plus 5 is what? 15 plus 2 is what? 17. Interesting number. 10 and 7. God now fulfilling the law with his hand brings about fullness. Because God rested on the seventh day. Are you with me? Now we can rest because God's hand is working in the house of grace. <laughs> Do you see God's heart? Do you see his heart? It's not keep working and work harder. It's rest more and let me love you more. Every time I say that phrase, let me love you, I just want to sing Mario. I won't do it, though. Is there anyone my age who can bust out singing, you, you should let me love you? And they left me alone again on Sunday morning. Anyways, let me close with this. All right, I'm going to close with this story, and then, uh, then I'm done. And just so you know, everyone who knows that song, I have no forgiveness for you. And I'm not praying for you this week. Genesis 22, we'll close with this. Close with this final story. First time the word love appears in the Bible. First time the word love appears. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First time the word love appears in the Bible. Abraham had two sons, but the son of promise, the son that is free, is a picture of Christ. And God is not talking about Abraham. He's talking about himself. Are you with me? Watch this, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Know this, 
In the Tanakh, it says literally, Abraham put the wood on Isaac's shoulders. Isaac, a young man, carrying enough wood for a human sacrifice up a mountain. Who is that a picture of? Jesus. Carrying a cross for all of us. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Let me say this real fast. This is the first time the word love appears. God said, I will show you the place. Before he came to the place, he saw it far off. When you are receiving God's love for you, your discernment will increase. All right. Verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, watch this, Abba. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Watch this. Isaac looks up and says, Father, I see the fire, I see the wood, but I don't see the sacrifice. Abraham in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew said, God will provide himself as the sacrifice. Right? Now he, Isaac had the comfort of knowing God will provide himself the sacrifice. But on the way up to the cross, Jesus looks up and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? The love of the father that he would neglect his own son so that he could bring all of us in and call us sons and daughters. Now watch this. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. Now watch this. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. This is not his only son. And we've seen this before. This is not his only son. Ishmael is still at home, but God is not talking to him. He's talking about himself. Now know this. Now know that I love you because Jesus translated the word fear as love. When he was tempted, Satan said, bow down and worship me. I'll give you the kingdoms. Jesus said, don't you know it's written? Thou shalt love the Lord your God, not thou shalt fear. So he translated fear into love. And right here, what is God saying himself? What is the angel of the Lord saying? For now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you love God. How? Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now you know what Paul says in Romans? If God did not withhold his only son, how will he not with him also freely, freely, graciously give you everything? If there's any doubt in your heart, God, why, I hope that you'll give me this. Father, I hope that you give me this. I'm praying that you'll give me this. If God didn't put a price tag on his own son, he'll never put a price tag on anything else. Because to put a price tag on anything else, on your healing, on your wholeness, on your peace, on your favor, on your prosperity, on anything. If God puts a price tag on anything else, then what he's saying is that is more valuable than my son. But nothing is greater than his son. And if God did not withhold Jesus, how will he not also with him give us everything freely? <laughs> Watch this. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. Now watch this real quick before I read verse 14. Let me say this. We'll read verse 14 and we'll close. Watch this, all right? Abraham did what? 
he went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering. Let me back up, verse 13. He lifted his eyes and looked. The same mountain range where this happened was the same mountain range where Jesus was, where Jesus was crucified. The same mountain range. And exactly where Abraham was, he probably looked ahead and saw something, saw something prophetically. And the reason why I say he probably saw something prophetically is because Jesus, when he was pressured by the Pharisees, they were challenging him on his divinity. How can you say you're the son? And Jesus looked at them and said, don't you know Abraham rejoiced when he saw my day? <laughs> when he saw my day, Abraham rejoiced. What day was he talking about? I believe the day he was hanging on the cross on the same mountain range where Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw God's replacement. God doesn't want your Isaac. He never did. This was a special case. I need someone to give me their son so I can give my son for the world. Abraham, it's not, your, it's not Isaac I want. His blood is tainted just like everyone else. But if you'll give me your son, then I can give my son. So that was a special case. God isn't asking for your Isaacs anymore. Praise God. We're not blessed with the testing of Abraham. We are blessed with the blessings of Abraham. All right. So God isn't asking for anything else from you. What can you give him? What can you give him? Nothing apart from Christ. So we bring Christ back to him. And notice what he says. Now that I have not withheld my son, know that I love you. And the same mountain range where he looked up and he saw the sacrifice not his son, but God's sacrifice. Verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. What do you need from God this morning? What do you need from God this morning? What are you, what are you asking the Lord for this morning? Because know this, the place where the Lord, the place where his love is for you, that's where his provision is. That's where his provision is. Whatever you need from God, and don't forget the word of the Lord for our church this past month was this. The Lord said, I want to heal you early this year. I want to heal you early this year. I want that to be first and foremost. I don't want you sick trying to, trying to be a blessing to someone else. I want you healthy so you can be a blessing later on. And you know what? As January has come to a close, if you're still here and you say, Father, I need healing to manifest in this part of my body. I want you to just lift your hands right now. If you would, everyone, head bowed, eye closed. Just lift your hands if you need healing right now. Just lift your hands. Even if it's for a family member, Father, we stand in place of that person. We stand in place of that family member or that friend that is sick, that's suffering. Father, we thank you that because you love us, we declare that by your stripe, Jesus, we were healed. We were healed. And right now, we thank you that your love is manifesting in our bodies. Your love is manifesting in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, if there's anything else you need from him this morning, if there's anything else you need, anything else, while he's here, just give him a chance to minister to you. While he's here, give him a chance to minister to you. Because where he loves you, that's where his provision is for you. Just receive his love this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.